Hey everybody and welcome to episode 59 of the Revive Yourself podcast. Here we go. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Have you got a health issue that just won't go away no matter what you try? Then welcome to the Revive Yourself podcast, where we reveal the secrets to long-lasting health by getting to the root cause of problems that no one else is talking about. So you can have more energy, clear skin, healthier hair, a leaner physique, more confidence, and most importantly, do the things you love and live the life you deserve. Here's your host, Ryan Martin. Hey guys, and how are you doing? Um, hope you're well. Hope you, I mean, I know you did actually, because for the feedback I've been getting from that interview with Paul Check, everyone's been um, giving me some great feedback. And I just want to say, if you ever do want to give me feedback, you can always give me an interview at, uh, so an interview, you can always give me an email at www.reviveyourself.co or actually just send me it to my email address, uh, which is ryan at reviveyourself.co. Um, and that goes for you too as well if you're ever dealing with a chronic health issue and you're looking for someone to help you through that then that's what we do here but yeah the interview with Paul Check was phenomenal we covered so much and been getting great feedback on that so thanks guys as always for just um, giving us reviews on iTunes and just for letting me know how much you enjoyed it it always um, helps us to let to let to let us know or to let me know that you're loving the interviews because it just makes it even better because I mean I interview people that I think you're going to love um, but also that I'm going to enjoy interviewing which is big and it's just why today's episode episode 59 is with Dr. Michael Hollick um, he's someone that I wanted to get on the show because there's been so much um, scaremongering around the sun these days and, and Dr. Michael Hollick is one of the world's leading authorities on vitamin D. He's also the author of The Vitamin D Solution. And I want to ask him all about the sun because uh, and vitamin D and how it's so important for us because, you know, in my opinion and in my research, the sun's one of the most hidden entities on the planet, life-giving. Um, and I wanted to talk to him about vitamin D as well, why it's so important, what it can help with in terms of chronic conditions and skin issues and maybe can it even increase lifespan. So without further ado, here he is. Here's Dr. Hollick. And I'll see you on the other side. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 59 of the Revive Yourself podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Hollick, all the way from Boston. Um, he's just telling me they've had a bit of snow there. So uh, we're lucky over here. It's a bit, little bit moving into spring, but still a bit cold there. Is that correct, Michael? Yes. Yeah, cool. So we're, we're talking today about vitamin D. Um, Mike, Michael's got a book out, Dr. Hollick's got a book out called The Vitamin D Solution. Um, he's been a, a world leading authority on this topic for a long, long time. And, um, you know, vitamin D is something that people sort of grasp the, the, the main basics of it and they talk about vitamin D from the sun and, and how, how powerful it is uh, in terms of health. But over the years, um, Vitamin D, or, or the sun, I should say, in particular, has been demonised by um, dermatologists. People are quite wary about going into the sun. But just before we get into that, um, Michael, how did you really start getting into studying vitamin D at such a deep level? Um, was you always interested in it, or was it just something that progressed? Right. It's a good question. Everybody always asks that question. So it turns out in 1969, I was at the University of Wisconsin, and in typical fashion for students, you want to be working in the hottest areas. And back then, it was DNA and understanding how you use food for energy with mitochondria. 
and nobody had any openings. And so I was sent to uh, Dr. DeLuca's lab working in vitamin D. And my response was I had no interest in working in vitamin D. And they informed me basically that that was it, that was available and that that was what you were going to do. And so I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And so for my master's degree, I was the person that identified 25 hydroxy vitamin D, right? It's the major circulating form that doctors use to determine your vitamin D status when you go to your doctor. And then a year later, I got my PhD when I identified the active form of vitamin D that's made by your kidneys. And then my roommate and I were the first to chemically make the active form of vitamin D where we realized that patients with kidney disease had bone disease because they couldn't activate vitamin D. Mm. And so my roommate and I were the first to chemically make it. And when we gave it to patients that had severe bone disease, wheelchair bound with kidney disease, they started walking again. So that was my introduction into translational medicine and showing how basic understanding of science can really help people in general uh, with medical problems. And then I became fascinated with the fact that sunlight provided you with your vitamin D. And so after leaving Dr. DeLuca's lab, um, I then initiated a program to try to understand how do you make vitamin D in your skin? When can you make it? What is the influence of skin pigmentation and sunscreen and aging on all of, of a very vital photochemical process that occurs in your skin? And I also then began to realize that all of a sudden in the 1980s, people started recommending sunscreens. Mm. And sunscreens absorb ultraviolet B radiation that's responsible for making vitamin D I realized even in the 1980s that this is going to be a major problem worldwide to tell people to stop being exposed to sunlight since it's your major source of vitamin D. So that's how I got into it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's touched on quite a few little things that I'd like to get into, especially around the UVB. Um, but just just quickly, you said you and your roommate, you made the chemical version of vitamin D um, and you see some miraculous things going on. So with that, what were the sort of levels you're talking about? Because, I mean... So coming from a natural health background, etc., we talk about, you know, generally you you want, if you can, to get natural sources of vitamin D because your body can sympathize and synthesize them better. Like you actually absorb them because, you know, if you shine a light through a man-made molecule, it's like levitry, whereas you want revitry from a, from a, from a, from a natural molecule. And a certain amount of the body can only absorb a certain amount of synthetic, synthetic vitamins, etc., what sort of doses were you talking about here with, with the chemical vitamin D? Was it were they mega doses? Were they very were they higher than what were traditionally used? Right. So this is called calcitriol mm-hmm. or twenty five dihydroxy vitamin D. It's mm-hmm. a pharmaceutical only to be used to treat patients with kidney failure. Right. With, or low blood calcium levels. So it's the active form of vitamin D made by your kidneys. Right. So once you make vitamin D in your skin, it goes to your liver, and then it goes to your kidneys, and it's the active form that works on your bone and your intestine to regulate your calcium. Okay, cool. So, because this is the thing was, because you say that the liver, I mean, that's obviously going to have a lot to do with the cholesterol as well. Would that be would that be right? So if it stimulates vitamin D, stimulates the cholesterol underneath your skin, which then gets converted by the liver. Is that how it works? No. No. Go go for it. Tell me how does it work. So how it works is 
that the precursor mm -hmm. in cholesterol biosynthesis, so the immediate form just before it gets converted to cholesterol, mm -hmm. that's what absorbs ultraviolet B radiation right. and converts it initially actually to pre-vitamin D, which is thermally unstable and based on your body temperature, then converts over a period of several hours to vitamin D3, which then enters the bloodstream and then goes to your liver for the first conversion to 25-hydroxy vitamin D. Okay. So there's quite a lot going on there. And so you said this, is, this was only to be given to certain patients that were actually clinically uh, or clinically, chronically um, malnourished in this, in, this, in this nutrient. So... So it's mainly patients mm -hmm. with disorders of mm -hmm. being unable to m make it in mm -hmm. your kidneys. So it's calcitriol, 125-dihydroxyvitamin D. So it's not vitamin D. Vitamin D that you make in your skin, it's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. so, why, so why would these patients generally um, be having these or these issues, producing it or making it, or um, why would they be so... Why, why, yeah, why were they so deficient in it? Well, the kidneys make it. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have any kidney function, you can't make it. Right. So generally, these people were, were having problems with their kidneys. Okay, I've got, I've got yeah. So, so we can, we're just moving on because when we're talking about vitamin D, generally, people, you know, they know it's from they comes from the sun. Uh, and in, in your opinion, would with the vitamin D you get you can get if you can get it from the sun all year round? Would you say it's the best form? So when you make it in your skin, you also make other photoproducts, mm -hmm. and we're doing now research to see if they have any unique biologic properties. Also, if you make vitamin D in your skin, it lasts two to three times longer in your body than if you take it as a supplement. Right. So having, having, known, having known this, when you, when you moved into it and you started to work on vitamin D, I know you started to, you've talked quite a lot about, I've seen some of your lecture before, talking a lot about the sun and how powerful it is. Why? Why was it? I think. I think ever since. I mean, I'm I'm 32 now, and I can always remember, probably since I'm young, that the, that the sun's sort of been demonised a little bit in terms of being very dangerous for your skin and not being very. I mean, it's, it's funny because whenever you're out in it, you feel phenomenal. Um, you go away on holiday, and certain things that may have been a problem before just seem to go away. You know, I mean, it kills off parasites. I mean, it's it's antifungal, antibacterial. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. It's one of the most hidden entities on the planet. Yet, we've, we're told by dermatologists and doctors that, you know, you should be wary of the sun and you need to put sunblock on, etc. So, I mean, how, was, it, was this something that you came in, into contact with, um, these sort of opinions, and has it been something you've had to battle with? So, this has been going on for probably now about 40 to 50 years mm. with the introduction of sunscreen. And the concept was that and there's no question that excessive exposure to sunlight, mainly sunburning experiences, yeah. can damage your skin, right? Can cause wrinkling later in life. It can also cause non-melanoma skin cancer. And that's easy to detect and easy to treat and very seldom is it lethal. But melanoma, right, which originates in the skin, that's considered to be a skin cancer, has been also related to sun exposure. But it turns out that most melanomas occur on the least sun-exposed areas, as I pointed out in the book, and occupational sun exposure actually decreases risk for melanoma. Mm -hmm. So from my perspective, I've always urged people to get sensible sun exposure. 
right? Never get a sunburn. That's the most important thing. Always protect your face because it's the most sun exposed, the most sun damaged. But arms and legs, abdomen and back, you're right. People feel better. One of the reasons is that you make beta endorphin in your skin, which, of course, is the happy substance, right, that runners high um, can produce. And uh, there's a whole variety of other biochemical processes and photochemical processes that occur in the skin when you're exposed to sunlight. Another good example is it makes nitric oxide, which causes vasodilation of your blood vessels, which gives you a lower blood pressure and makes you feel better um, because you're more relaxed. So there are a wide variety of health benefits from sensible sun exposure, which is why I've been promoting this for more than 40 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just, just for people out there, just a recap there. So what you're saying, it's funny because this is something that I bring, bring up quite a lot, is the countries that have the most skin cancer are the ones that have the least exposure to sunlight, correct? And the ones that have the most, sorry, the least, are the ones that are exposed to it the most. So as you said, the people that are actually working out in the field to develop a good tolerance to it, so they get a good amount of vitamin D. Um, but those people, for example, someone like a probably someone from the UK or England who then doesn't see much of the sun all year round, then goes to Barbados for two weeks and goes straight in the sun and just tries to get all their sun for, for, for the year in two weeks. That's where the problem is. It's not the actual exposure to the sun. It's it's the, it's the it's getting burnt, for example. So as long as you have um, you go out for 20 minutes in the sun maybe and then you can just do things like wear a hat or you can cover up or you can put sunblock on afterwards. But it's really important to get that exposure to begin with as long as you don't get burnt. That's what I recommend. But also you should realize something else, which is it's often recommended that you go out in the early morning jogging or late afternoon. Mm -hmm. It's less damaging to your skin and beneficial for making vitamin D. Actually, it turns out none of that's true. It's the worst time for your skin, believe it or not, Mm -hmm. and make no vitamin D. So you basically only make vitamin D from about 10 a.m. until 3 p.m., whether you live at the equator, whether you live in Australia, whether you live in Saudi Arabia, or whether you live in Boston. It's all about the same. And the reason is it has to do with the zenith angle of the sun. And the, and the, the more uh, angle that there is to the sun coming into the Earth's surface, those vitamin D-producing ultraviolet B photons are being absorbed by the ozone layer. So you can't make vitamin D. Okay, so so does that so that I mean that's that's huge. I mean people are thinking they're going out in the morning, getting their morning sun, and going out. So only between ten and three. So so the angle of the sun does um, does um, velocity, or uh, say does the the height that you live in, in make a difference? The altitude that you're in make a difference? Right. So we did we did a study, and we showed that um, I had a good friend that was planning to go to base camp um, in Mount Everest. And so we actually measured the levels of vitamin D synthesis in Agra, which is at sea level, basically, right, where the Taj Mahal is located. Mm-hmm. And then he did it at every couple of thousand feet um, and up to 5,000 meters, which I think is base camp. And we could show maybe half to 1% in Agra, 15% at base camp. So the less atmosphere, the less ozone, Definitely, the more vitamin D you can make. Awesome. So that sort of thing is saying, stay away from the midday sun. Would you say that's a bit of a myth? Or would you say, you've got to be careful with it, but it is a myth? No, it's a myth. And so the question really is, 
how do you know how long to stay outside for your skin type and for wherever you're located? And the answer is to develop an app. So we've done that. So working with Ontometrics called dminder.info. So D-M-I-N-D-E-R dot I-N-F-O. It will tell you anywhere on this planet for your skin type, when you can make vitamin D, how much vitamin D you make, and it warns you to get out of the sun so you don't get a sunburn. Right, that's awesome. I mean, so I want to go into just a few things about that. So you said it was dminer.info app. So we'll put that up into the link for everyone because I think that's going to be brilliant uh, for people to understand that. Um, for me, when I go out, I mean, I'm lucky I go quite a nice color. I don't really get burnt. I mean, I don't go out in the sun for extraordinarily long periods of time. But I know everyone's different, for example, you know, like people got fairer skin, people got darker skin. Have they found the, the difference between someone with fair skin and someone, for example, maybe an African-American or uh, someone from the Caribbean, they've got to be in the sun longer to get the, the amount of vitamin D? Right. So we demonstrated that also. So a person from Africa, for example, say a Maasai herder, mm-hmm. right, he would have to be out, he or she would have to be outside probably 10 to 20 times longer really? to make same amount of vitamin D as me. Right. And so, yeah, so the, so the more melanin that you have, it competes with those UVB photons, so you make less vitamin D. Right. So they need to be outside for a much longer period of time. And so they did a study and they showed that in Maasai herders living in Kenya, their blood levels were about 40 to 50 nanograms per ml, which means that it would be equivalent to taking about 4,000 to 5,000 units of vitamin D a day. So we think that's the amount of vitamin D our hunter-gatherers were making every day outside, thousands of units of vitamin D a day. So, and so for the most, for most people, say for example, us living here in the UK, or you guys on the East Coast in America, um, how, between, between the months, I mean, maybe in spring, summer we get it, fall maybe not so much, winter, what generally will we be making uh, vitamin D and what do we need to do to, 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 to get to the levels that, that we, we need? I mean, what, what would be the rough level you'd say we, we need to get to? I mean, everyone's slightly different, but just across the board, if you said a rough level. Right. So first of all, living in the UK, for example, you only are making vitamin D about six months of the year. Because mm-hmm. we did a study in Edmonton, Canada. We did a study in Norway. We showed that basically... From October until around end of March, early April, no matter how so much yeah. you have, you won't make any vitamin D. Right. And so we think that your blood level at a minimum should be 75 nanomoles per liter, or it's equivalent to 30 nanograms per ml. The Endocrine Society practice guidelines, and I chaired that committee, we looked at all of the information and concluded 40 to 60 nanograms per ml, which is equivalent to 100 to 150 nanomoles per liter, is the preferred range. To get to that level, you would need to be taking four to 5,000 units of vitamin D a day. Mm-hmm. And that's what I recommend to all of my patients. That's what I recommend to all my family members. And that's what I personally take every day. Okay, a couple of questions there. A couple of questions with that. With that, because I want to get onto what you said, it's funny because the, the October to April 
um, October to April, it's sort of like when you're moving into sort of flu season, they say. Um, so would you say it's flu season or vitamin D deficiency season? Right. So there was a study done to show, and, and there's this what Simpson um, had suggested a seasonal stimulus that at the peak flu season is when your blood levels of 25 hydroxy vitamin D are at their lowest. So we think that they are related. And there were two studies that have been done um, to help to give some insight into this. The first was done in around New Haven, Connecticut. They showed that healthy adults who maintain a blood level of about 100 nanomoles per liter or about 40 nanograms per ml reduce risk of upper respiratory tract infections by about 40 to 50%. A study done in school children in Japan showed that school children who took 1,200 units of vitamin D a day just during the wintertime reduced their risk of getting influenza A infection by 42%. It reduced their asthmatic attacks by more than 90%. Oh, my God. That's huge. That's better than any vaccine. That's huge. Like that's, yep. that's like people need to understand this. this is why we say I don't really believe in flu season I believe in vitamin D deficiency season and certain other vitamins because you know the sun's so powerful that people don't understand how I want mean, to talk about chronic illnesses and get into it but when you said you take about 4,000 to 5,000 um, IUs um, what sort of type are you taking here? So um, I take a supplement, vitamin D3, mm -hmm. but we've also shown that vitamin D2 works as well. So for vegans who don't want to take vitamin D3 because the chemical originates from lanolin, mm -hmm. uh, that vitamin D2 is perfectly fine. And is there any sort of, do you have your own supplement brand that you can recommend or is there ones you can recommend? So, right. So I don't have my own supplement brand, but I do have a trademark and I endorse Vital Choice. So V-I-T-A-L Choice, C-H-O-I-C-E. And you go to vitalchoice.com. Mm -hmm. And the reason I like that product is because it comes from wild caught salmon. Right. And I think you. I think I've heard you say before, farmed and wild are very different in produce, production of vitamin D. Correct? For sure. So if you're looking for your, so if you're looking for your, to so get your amounts, you need to. Why? So why? Why would that be? Why would a farm salmon not produce the same vitamin amount of vitamin D as a wild salmon? Right, because because it's not they don't produce it. They eat it. They eat it. Okay, and where and where are they eat it from? From the food chain which is plentiful in vitamin D, whereas the stuff that they feed them doesn't contain very much vitamin D. Awesome. That's just a, it's a good people to people realize, you know, farm salmon, farm fish, actually, they're using some designer drugs that a lot of people don't even know about. It's very important that people understand. Same as when you're feeding a cow grass or if you're feeding it corn, you know, what these things are eating is huge because then we eat it. And so if you're eating an animal that's deficient, then you're going to be deficient yourself. So, so that's really interesting. So we talked a bit about... Um, the, the months of the year, October to April. So for someone like myself, you know, because um, of people, for example, we're, I'm going to talk about sunbeds here because it's something that I, I want people to sort of understand a little bit more about. Now, in the UK, for example, October to April, as you said, we don't get sun um, very much, especially not that spectrum that's going to be able to allow us to produce um, uh, quantities of vitamin D that are going to boost our health. Now, Sunbeds have always been demonised um, a little bit, especially by the FDA over review. I know Dr. McCullough had a whole thing with sunbeds, um, and over here. But isn't it the cer certain sunbeds that are actually healthy? Now, 
is in the difference between UVA and UVB light, whether you're using a sunbed with a electromagnetic ballast rather than a um, sorry electronic ballast rather than a magnetic ballast, um, the, the the strength of the sunbed can they be um, good for your health? Because I notice in the winter when I use them, a low powered UVB sunbed with electronic ballast, I feel phenomenal. I feel good. I have energy. I look healthier. I feel better compared to when I don't. Um, and so I generally would go on the sunbed once a week, that's it, only for six to eight minutes and build up depending on how low it is, um, rather than taking supplements. It's because I just prefer to do it. I don't know, I'm just saying I prefer to do it and I feel good about it. Now, am I mad for going on a sunbed or would you say that's something that you can um, endorse? Right. So I, as you probably know in the book, I don't advocate tanning. Okay. Right? But those that want to use a sunbed for obtaining vitamin D, my recommendation has been to protect your face because, like I said, it's the most sun exposed, mm -hmm. and to go in for 50% of the time recommended for tan because you'll then have less damage to your skin and you're still making vitamin D. We did a study in tanners in Boston, so very much like you, is that they were going to a tanning bed about once a week. Their blood levels, on average, were about uh, 100 to 150 nanomoles per liter, right? Or 40 to 50 nanograms, up to 60 nanograms per ml. We also looked at the same number of men and women that didn't tan. Their levels, on average, were less than 50 nanomoles per liter, about uh, 46 nanomoles per liter, and which translates into less than 20 nanograms per ml, about 18 nanograms per ml. They're all vitamin D deficient. So we think that tanners may be getting the benefit of vitamin D. You're making beta endorphin. You're making nitric oxide. So there's a whole host of different um, biochemicals and photochemicals that are being generated in the skin. So there may be something to it. I don't personally do it. Um, but I enjoy the sun. I go cycling. I play tennis and I garden. So I take advantage of sensible sun exposure. And like I said, I always take 5,000 units of vitamin D a day. Yeah, and that's, and that's the thing. So it's like for me having um, – I know you got interviewed by Dr. McCullough as well. He had something, he had something quite big with the, with the beds and he goes into a lot about the differences between it. And say tanning, for example, in the summer I don't because I go out like you. I go in the garden. I'll be outside and I'll, I'll use a natural sun. Over here, unfortunately, like like I know how cold the, the East Coast gets, having been to New York, etc. I know the sun can be quite you know, very sparse. Um, so I use it, but I, I said before, I really do I'm not saying everyone else do that. This is not my recommendation. I'm just saying for me and for my clients, I found I feel so much better. I, I, I don't know, it gives me energy. I look better. I haven't been ill in the winter for six years that I've used it. It's antidotal, I know, but I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with it. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm to say it's very low-powered, um, and it's not a, not a normal sunbed. You have to find it, the, these special units yourself. But um, it's something, I said, just to get my vitamin D that way. And, I mean, I mean that's quite a lot. You're saying 100 and 150 compared to 15. That's a, that's a big margin uh, for people in terms of the, the levels that they've got in, in their blood. Um, so just quickly, uh, Michael, what is the difference for people out there between UVA and UVB? Because I know that these these um, ultraviolet rays have been 
have been sort of once again they've been demonised as well. So what are we looking at here between UVA and UVB? Is one worse than the other? Is can one produce more more health benefits than the other one? What are we looking at? Right. So UVB has the highest energy. Mm-hmm. So you would think, therefore, it would penetrate the most deeply into your skin, but it does not. And the reason is that your DNA and protein absorb the ultraviolet B radiation along with the precursor of vitamin D to make pre-vitamin D. UVA is not absorbed by DNA and protein as efficiently, so it will penetrate deeply into your dermis. And that's one of the reasons why we think it affects your immune system, may increase risk for melanoma, and also causes uh, damage to the elasticity of the skin, increasing wrinkling. There used to be this concept of safe tanning with UVA radiation because they thought since it wasn't UVB and it wasn't being absorbed by your DNA that it was better, but we now know that's not true at all. Mm -hmm. And I don't recommend people to be using UVA tanning beds, but rather the combination of UVB with UVA um, because the UVB um, will help to generate more melanin help protect the skin. UVA doesn't do that very well at all. Right, and that's huge because it used to always say if UVB is the bad, the bad guy and it's funny, like uh, I said before, the low-powered UVB bed and people feel feel different. And, you know, I mean, obviously when it comes through from the sun, I mean, let's say God or the universe, whatever it is, it's not stupid, right? So when they're producing these, I mean, there's UV, uh, UVC as well, Correct. No. So UVC what, what? is all absorbed by the ozone layers, right. so you're never exposed to any UVC right, okay. on the planet, other than maybe under the ozone hole. <laughs> okay. so, so in like Australia New Zealand, you might have to worry about that? Maybe. I mean, it depends upon where that ozone hole is located, but for the most part, it's mainly UVB and UVA. Cool. That, okay. That, Just want to clear that up. That's not, so when people are looking at what to put on their skin for... Um, for protection, you know, uh, natural things like because dermatologists will say certain different. I mean, I don't know how you've um, been getting on with dermatologists throughout the years. I'm sure your your opinions um, differ quite substantially. Um, but I always say to people as well, your body is not seen. And if you go out in the sun, you feel good. Um, and if you go and you have, you feel good. I mean, that's going to probably tell you a, a lot about what you need to know. Um, and when I go out in the sun, I feel fantastic. Uh, in, even just being in the countries that, you know, the difference between getting up in the summer, you can see the sun outside. It's just, you said seasonal defective disorder. That must have a lot to do with that. Um, but what sort of things can people put on their skin? Because, you know, there's lots of chemical-based products out there today full of parabens, SLSs, etc. What are some good natural um, products people can put on their skin? Um, zinc, zinc, zinc at all? Would that help? Uh, and, and, what, and what sort of... Um, Unless you think that I'm completely nuts here instead of talking about this. But what would you say, what do you use on your skin or what would you recommend people to put on their skin if they're looking to protect them after they've been out in the sun for a period of time where they've absorbed quite a lot of vitamin D? Yeah, so the key really is, of course, do not sunburn. Mm -hmm. So the best way to protect your face, in my opinion, is a broad rim hat. And the best way to protect the rest of your body is, is light clothing. Um, that's by far your best bet because then you don't have to put any chemicals on your skin. But if you're going to put a sunscreen on, make sure that it's a broad spectrum because it, that sunscreen needs to absorb both UVB 
and UVA radiation efficiently. And, um, and so, and there are many products on the market that I think are okay. I mean, are they ideal? No, but if they pr protect you from sunburning, they're good. You may be aware that recently I became involved and we published a paper um, showing that you can actually intelligently make a sunscreen in a manner that if you alter the composition, the chemical composition a little bit around the region where the UVB photons that make vitamin D come through, that you can actually make vitamin D and use the sunscreen. And uh, it's called Solar D, S-O-L-A-R-D, capital D. And uh, you can see it on the internet. It's already out in Australia, and they're planning to now launch it worldwide. Um, and so that's an option. I use it um, because I've been working with it for so long. Uh, but whether it's naturally zinc or titanium, we just don't know because even – we worry that those titanium, which are in these very kind of small yeah. little capsules, can get into your skin and no. maybe even through your skin. Nanoparticles, right? Right. And so you just never know. Um, my preference is sun protection without chemicals if you can, but always, always, always prevent sunburn. That's the most damaging to your skin, most likely to increase risk for both non-melanoma and melanoma skin cancer. Right. I mean, and to be honest with you, the body getting burnt, or, or you can feel yourself getting burnt, unless you're in that weather where it's hard to judge, you know, it might be overcast and cloudy, generally, if you're out in the sun. What you want to do is use the app. Mm, yeah, 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 use app, the app, yeah. So the app will tell you when to get out of the sun or yeah. to put the sun protection on. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, just generally, you're getting burnt, or the early stage of getting burnt, your body's telling you, right, you've had enough, like, get out of the sun. Like, that's the... It, yeah. I mean, by that time, it's it actually you too late. or too late. You got it. So you really need to prevent sunburn. And the most important time, of course, is as a child and young adult, because your skin has a memory to your exposure. And and, and just I me mean, being um, looking at diet and stuff, because I know you, you talked about ways to get vitamin D in in your body apart from supplements. You know, the sun is parts of diet. Looking at diet would having a healthy diet, being very hydrated, does that also help skin protection and also give you say, levels of vitamin D that you wouldn't otherwise if you eat a nice healthy diet full of um, vitamins, minerals, or say clean organic foods, for example, you get enough vitamin D there or do you always need to always need to supplement? Because people will say, well, if I'm eating the right foods um, and maybe if I'm having, I know, I mean, it's because I know you're going to calcium as well, but if I'm having the right foods, I'm going to be getting enough vitamin D from having cod liver oil, for example, or, or, or butter oils from from certain. Are they enough, or once again, do you still need to to to, to um, supplement? So herein lies the problem: is that I think Mother Nature designed this extremely well, thousands and thousands, and maybe millions of years ago. Is is not to worry about the vagaries of trying to get it from a dietary source, but getting from sunlight. So there's essentially no food that naturally contains vitamin D. The ones that do include, like you said, cod liver oil. But you can only take a small amount of cod liver oil because otherwise you'll get too much vitamin A. And uh, wild-caught salmon, right? It only contains 500 to 1,000 units in a serving. 
So you would have to be eating wild caught salmon two to three times a day to get two to 5,000 units of vitamin D a day. Mushrooms exposed to sunlight can be a good source, sun-dried mushrooms. But again, you'd have to eat it all the time. You cannot get enough vitamin D from dietary sources. Even here in the United States, where we fortify milk with vitamin D and many other foods, we showed many years ago, no child or adult in the United States can get enough vitamin D from dietary sources. And so, and so with the children, what would, what would, I mean, because people, like, when it comes to children, they, they think, or babies especially, they'll be very careful of their health, etc. What would you say for, for a mother? Um, I mean, is it okay to expose just your baby to a certain amount of sunlight? Would it be perfect for them? And just, and then cover them up afterwards? Right. So what we recommend certainly for lactating women, they have to give their infant 400 units of vitamin D a day. Right. There's essentially no vitamin D in human breast milk. Right. If a lactating woman wants to put enough vitamin D in her infants uh, to provide her infant with enough vitamin D to put enough vitamin D in her milk, she would have to take 6,000 units of vitamin D a day. Right. Okay. And that's telling us again, from an evolution perspective, how much our our ancestors were making outside because it makes no sense that human breast milk shouldn't have any vitamin D. Okay. So I recommend infants should be getting 400 to 1,000 units a day. Okay. Children should be getting at least 600 up to 1,000 units a day. In my opinion, teenagers should be treated like adults, minimum 1,500 to 2,000 units a day, and preferably four to 5,000 units a day. Okay, so if they're not so, so if they if you're getting exposed to the sun, you said that the actual levels stay in your blood for longer if you're getting exposed to the sun. Whereas with this, it would be every day you need to be taking the supplement. Correct, and so that's why if you go to a tanning bed once a week, you're still able to maintain your blood levels uh, reasonably well. But what I do, because then the other argument is, so in the summertime, I like I said, cycle, garden, and uh, everything without sun protection, but I make sure I don't get a sunburn. But I still take the same amount of vitamin D. And so the blood level will only go up by about maybe 10 to 20 nanomoles per liter, which is really inconsequential. And, and so, and this way you can remember to take it every day, all of your life, on top of getting sensible sun exposure. Tanner is a different story because you're exposing your whole body we showed that if you go out on the beach and get what's called a minimal erythemal dose of like pinctus to your skin 24 hours later, it's equivalent to ingesting 15,000 to 20,000 units of vitamin D. Okay? Mm -hmm. But it's unrealistic for people to be out in a bathing suit all the time. And so even if you're exposing your arms, it's the rule of nines is that that's only about 9% of your body's surface. So if you're making 15,000 units or 20,000 for a whole body, then 10% is only about 1,500 to 2,000 units of vitamin D. Right, got you. Right? So that's why we recommend people take it all the time. Yeah, got you. And with, and with, with these, I mean, you're saying these doses, I mean, you're saying four to five to 6,000 a day. People would say, well, isn't that, that's a lot, isn't it? I mean, my, the, I mean, the, the, the recommendations for that generally are a lot lower. Um, I mean, is he sure this is not going to be toxic to my body? Is there not, is there any like, can you take too much? Is there going to be, I mean, what can happen? Can I, can I, yeah, can, can there be ill effects from taking too much vitamin D? 
Right. So what we think is going on is, like I said, our hunter gatherers were making thousands of units a day. Mm -hmm. And I already told you about the Maasai herders. Mm -hmm. They were likely making several thousand units a day. That's why they can maintain good, healthy blood levels. But yes, you can become toxic. But you would have to literally be taking hundreds of thousands of units Mm -hmm. of vitamin D a day for like a half a year to a year before you have to worry. And we reported some of these. So there's one gentleman that went on the internet to buy a product. He didn't realize, nor did the company, that they forgot to dilute it. So instead of taking 2,000 units a day, he was actually taking a million units a day. Uh, He was taking two teaspoons of pure crystal and vitamin D. (laughs) I shouldn't laugh, really, but that is a hell of a lot, all right? But the good news is that he then contacted me and I told him to stop all vitamin D, lower his calcium intake. He was perfectly fine. And then there was another case of a uh, nutrition guru that decided to have his own vitamin D supplement that he took. And he thought that there was a thousand units in each one. The problem was that they didn't know the difference between microgram and milligram, which Mm -hmm. is a thousand times more. So he was actually taking 4 million units a day. He and all of his um, patrons who who were looking forward to to getting nutritional information from him and getting the best quality supplements all became toxic. Mm. And we published him as well. And again, they stopped it and for the most part they were fine. So what are some of the symptoms if if it does happen? So what happens is your blood calcium goes up. You have a high blood calcium parathyroid hormone goes down. You wind up calcifying blood vessels, calcifying your kidneys, and if it, and long enough, it will kill you. Right, so calcifying the kidneys, you get kidney stones, things like that? Well, it calcifies your kidneys, so you wind up with oh, kidney compl- completely, oh, okay, okay, right. It increase risk for kidney stones, but that's a small part of it. Oh. It's mainly calcification of your soft tissues, your oh. blood vessels, your heart, and your kidneys. All right, and so and to be honest, just people understand these guys are taking doses in the millions, not the thousands. Um, so I mean, that's that's, that's a very very different. So when it and comes, there's a very nice study, by the way, that was done in Canada. They showed up to twenty thousand units a day that some Canadians were taking were perfectly fine. The levels were around one hundred fifty to two hundred nanomoles per liter, somewhere in the range of sixty to eighty nanograms per mL. And they were perfectly fine. Yeah, I mean, I think I've even heard people. Some people say that with vitamin D, the body actually absorbs it better. This is you can you can debunk this. You can say this is correct. The body actually absorbs it better if you take, for example, instead of taking five to five thousand uh, units a day, um, which would be over the course of a week thirty five thousand, for example, uh, seven seven to five. Um, that if you took something like fifteen every other day or fifteen. Um, thousand maybe on a Monday, fifteen thousand on, on, on a Thursday. But the body absorbs it better. Is that correct, or is that is that nonsense? No. No. no, it's not. So we actually did that. We were the ones that started all this. Mm-hmm. So in the United States, we have a pharmaceutical that doctors can order. That's fifty thousand units. Mm-hmm. And so since patients come to doctors for prescriptions. I gave them 50,000 units once a week for eight weeks to fill the tank up because the tank was empty. And then I put them on 50,000 units every two weeks forever. And that helps maintain a healthy level of around 100 nanomoles per liter or 
well, 40 nanograms per ml. And there was no toxicity. And we published a paper on this after doing this for six years. All right, so let's put that one to bed then. So you actually need to try, if you don't get out in the sun, you actually need to be taking this on a daily basis. And uh, what have you seen with vi- vitamin vitamin D in terms of, um, I mean, I know vitamin C has been turned to fight infections and to, to boost the immune system. Have you seen have you seen this happen or even having uh, antiparasitic effects or antifungal effects at all on any, any patients you've been dealing with? Have you looked into that at all? Right, so... I've never treated patients with infections with vitamin D, but I've encouraged them to take vitamin D. And like I said, there's a bunch of studies out there showing reduced risk of infectious diseases by increasing your vitamin D intake. However, if you have tuberculosis or if you have fungal infections, you wind up having what's called a granulomatous disorder. And then you become super sensitive to vitamin D. So then if you take too much vitamin D, you can actually develop high blood calcium. So under those circumstances, you need to be a little bit careful and talk to your doctor. Cool. And what, I mean, I've heard you talk about skin conditions with vitamin D, you know. It's funny. I have myself, the reason I like my vitamin D, I, I, I go out in the sun. I had um, very bad acne when I was younger, you know, very bad acne. Um, went all over my chest and, and, and back. I had keloid scarring um, all over my chest and back. My face was really, really bad. I had it all over my face. Um, and I was given medications that they didn't do any much really for me. Um, apart from Rakitane, rac- I think you call it Accutane, which is, I wouldn't be taking it again. Um, it completely dried me out. If I went in the sun, it could burn me, which is very, very dangerous. Um, but every time I went out in the sun, it went away. And I know a lot of it's to do with gut health. and People say um, eczema, psoriasis, like fungal conditions in the gut. So when you go out, uh, and, they, and these fungal conditions, they, they, they obviously they proliferate onto different parts of the body, etc. And when you go out on it, they go out. I've seen people with eczema go out in the sun and boom, their eczema's gone or psoriasis is gone. And I've seen acne clear up in the sun. Why is that? I mean, and why aren't dermatologists using this if it's such a powerful healing entity? Right, well... UVB has been used for probably more than 50 years for treating psoriasis, so that's well known. And we think that that has something to do with altering DNA activity, but probably also maybe making vitamin D, so the two may be related. In terms of acne, the UVB certainly, you know, we think that it's 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 a bacterial infection, right? So sometimes they treat with an antibiotic, but that UV will make vitamin D, It'll improve your immune system, help you fight infection, and probably even kill the bacteria at the same time. Yeah, it's phenomenal. I mean, and I'll be honest with you, people say about the sun damaging the skin. If you get the right amount of sun, I see it myself. I can, I can show my, my listeners pictures. My, my skin was really bad. Like It had redness. Um, I mean, the, the keloids were very much raised. And since I've changed my diet and my lifestyle, natural lifestyle, and I get the right amount of sun exposure, I mean, it's amazing how the body can heal itself. That it looks there's, there's there's very little remnants of it. I mean, it's still there a little bit, but this I'm talking, we're talking seven years down the line. Give me another ten years, for example. I think it'll be, it'll be even better. Uh, and so I think it just shows that the sun, in com- combination with a healthy diet and healthy lifestyle, is something that can clear up skin conditions. I mean, have you seen? I mean, you've probably seen vitamin D yourself that help people with certain skin conditions or clear up things like that, scars, etc. But we introduced the concept back in the mid-1980s that you could use active vitamin D right, made by your kidneys mm-hmm. to actually treat psoriasis. 
So there is a, a, a product on the market, there are a bunch of products that you could topically apply active vitamin D compounds to treat psoriasis. And we do believe that vitamin D may get activated in your skin and may have important health benefits in your skin. So there is something to the vitamin D story, being able to make it in your skin um, naturally. Yeah, and I think it's just, for me, it's something that I think people, um, it's almost like we need to think about the sun in reverse. Yeah, don't go out in it and get burnt, but if you use it sensibly um, in combination with other healthy practices, then it's going to be something that really does increase your health. And I haven't even seen studies that it increases people's lifespan, the amount of vitamin D they get. Do it again. Haven't you um, done studies that show that if you get regular vitamin D exposure, it increases lifespan as well? Well, there are data to suggest that if you improve your vitamin D status, you will live longer. That, that definitely mortality, you're at increased risk of dying, mainly of cardiovascular disease, if you're vitamin D deficient. Yeah. Uh, and that's and that's huge. Um, anything else you'd like to, to add, uh, Michael, today? Because I know we've covered quite a lot. I know you're a busy man. You want to go? Um, you've got to go. Anything else you want to want to cover? I know. So you've got the app there. Um, just uh, was it a D Minitar Info dot com? Is it or is it just the app you go onto? You can find that on 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 um, Apple. On your, right. on your iTunes? Android or Apple, so dminder.info, D-M-I-N-D-E-R dot I-N-F-O. Yep. And then you can also go to my website, just Dr. Holick, just D-R-H-O-L-I-C-K dot com, mm-hmm. and that information is there. Cool. And so my one last message is pregnant women. Pregnant women should definitely increase their vitamin D intake to 4,000 units of vitamin D a day. You have better birth outcomes, reduce risk of this most serious complication of pregnancy, which is preeclampsia. And we even showed that you're less likely to require a cesarean section just simply by being vitamin D sufficient during your pregnancy. Yeah. And then finally, by improving your vitamin D status, as people are now worrying about aging and about Alzheimer's disease and dementia and depression, you have a vitamin D receptor in your brain. We think that vitamin D plays a very important role for your um, brain function and neurological health, reducing risk for depression, neurocognitive dysfunction, and Alzheimer's disease. So it couldn't just so that goes back to sort of seasonal affective disorder, right? So it's not just the, the the fact that it's dark, but it can also be the the sun that can help alleviate the depression. Correct. No, that's 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 awesome, and I mean. It, because people out there, I, I really do just say that the sun's a heat entity. It's something that I think if we can get exposure to it, it's going to help us the long. Um, it's going to help us live a lot longer, happier lives. And for me, I always feel a lot better in the sun. I think most people do. You know, when it comes to when it comes out of winter into spring, people are oh, summer's on its way, and that's always a nice a nice feeling. Um, when when does you when do you start getting a little bit warmer in Boston? Um, so theoretically, so it's going to be a little bit warmer already, but we have a, an extended winter this year. And so hopefully um, mid-April to end of April, um, we'll start getting a little bit warmer and being able to go out and start planting. Yeah, you get really hot summers, right? Yeah, kind of. I mean, it gets up to 90, 95 degrees and it, uh Fahrenheit and yes and it will be pretty humid but it's very tolerable it's only a couple of 
couple of weeks out of the year. It's not a big deal. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, uh, Michael. And it uh, been great talking to you. And if, if, if it develops, hopefully we get you back on and see what else you've been working on in the future. Have a delightful day. Cheers. Bye. So, guys, that was Dr. Michael Hollick all about vitamin D and why it's so important for our health, how it can help with chronic illness, how it can actually increase your lifespan, um, why it's, it's so important for overall uh, overall health, you know, in terms of, and why the sun's so powerful, such a healing entity, and why we need it, and what actually the levels should be out for you to be healthy, you know, people are really, really worried about the sun and its impact on you know not no one's saying go out and get burnt we're saying you go out there and use it responsibly and you cover up but also be very wary of what you're putting on your skin in terms of chemical sunblock okay guys and girls as always um head on over to www.reviveyourself.co for all the other podcast episodes and all articles all lots of free information over there and if you are suffering from a chronic condition we have got our free four-day mini course but if you would like some one-to-one help because you know, I mean, the the, the course is, is very, very good. It's going to give you the basic understanding of what's going on. But if you do feel that you need individual support, then send me an email at ryan at reviveyourself.co and we'll be able to book a call uh, to see if and how we can help you and to move you forward on one of our individual programs if that is the case. Otherwise, guys, that's it for this week. Got a great episode next week coming up with Scott Jack, all about the magnetic interaction. Uh, Otherwise, as always, stay happy, stay healthy. I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. If you're struggling with gut issues, such as gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, indigestion, heartburn, and want to finally be able to eat the foods you love without the crippling after effects, then don't forget to head over to reviveyourself.co and pick up your free copy of The Healing Health Paradigm today. 